Hello and welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. It's post-Vuelta time. It's time to look back at this race. And, I mean, I guess we should be analytical and, and highly impartial, but also... I'd like to say that I did pick the winner in last week's show. It's a person from the country from which we all hail, even though Abby claims to be Canadian as well. I can't wait to get into this. And also Tour de Romandy as well. Yeah, it's going to be exciting, and I'm I'm just really stoked to see you again, Cosmo Catalano, bike racing analyst extraordinaire. How are you? I am well. Likewise, nice to see you, Dane and Abby. Abby? Abby Mickey, Hello. host of the Wheel Talk podcast. Welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing podcast. Sorry, I jumped the gun a little bit. I was saying hi to Cosmo because he said my name, but hello. And that's a good <laughs> thing to do. That's very, we, like to, we like to have a cordial, you know, a friendly, collegial conversation to start things off. Uh, we just, it's, it's part of what we do here at Escape Collective. We're just a very friendly bunch, whether you're on the Pretty Serious Bike Racing podcast or Wheel Talk or Placeholders or Geek Warning. We're all very friendly. Here on the podcast network, it's a pretty cool community. And you know, while I'm on the subject, I just just this popped into my head just now to to tell you: sign up to support Escape Collective. Head on over to escapecollective.com/slash/join and become part of this very cool community. You'll be supporting podcasts like this one, like the one that Abby does, like placeholders like Geek Warning, and all the fun stuff we do over at escapecollective.com and yeah, come become part of that community. It's a pretty it's a pretty cool one. And speaking of our cool community, I'm going to give a special shout-out to some of our lifetime members here. Extra special. We really, really appreciate the thank yous to Calvin Ferns, Armin Amsler, John Dunstan, Chris Carr, and Jasmine Z. Thanks for being lifers. Couldn't do it without you. Really appreciate your support. All right, on with the show. It's... It's time to, to look back at the Vuelta. Cosmo, what happened in the last week of the Vuelta? Just set the scene. It got super interesting. Stage 16, uh, Jonas Vingigo goes up the road, uh, gains some time, enough time to pass Primoz Roglic on the, the GC, and enough to make people kind of wonder if maybe he is trying to retake the race lead from his uh, his teammate Sepp Kuss. Uh, stage 16, uh, Vinigo and Roglic end up riding away together, away from Sepkus. Uh, looked like he was going to lose the race, barely held on through riding super hard and uh, a little help from Mikael Landa. Um, stage 18, everybody seemed to get back on the same page about uh, who was racing for whom. Vinigo lost a little sympathy time and uh, yeah, we had a, a crashy sprint um, that was won by Dionysi and then a really crazy finish uh, the last day in Spain uh, that I'll talk about later. But yeah, Seb Kuss, GC Kuss, when's the Volta? GC Kuss, he went from meme to Vuelta winner, which is pretty, pretty, well, it was entertaining. I mean, you got to say it was entertaining, right? Even if you aren't an American, I mean, yes, we're, we're going to struggle to be impartial here, but I th- I'd like to think this was an entertaining Vuelta for everyone, except maybe like Primoz Roglic and his family were probably like, I don't know, there's maybe a 48-hour period where they were probably pretty frustrated with starting the race thinking that he was going to be the main guy. And Anyway. I think the, the Yumbo Visma press officer was probably pretty fried by the end of this one. Yeah, um, right. But, he, but as Johnny she. pointed out on the placeholders, he did, that, that 
the, well, the whole you know Yumbo PR administration team did a pretty good job, all things considered. I think <laughs> the approach that they took to just kind of ignore kind of worked in the end. Better than giving any bad quotes to the media. Maybe we'll talk about this more in in our Smart with Questionable Judgment section, where I have I have highlighted the Yumbo Stage 17 write up as my questionable judgment. But that specific write up, I think, was a, a, a symptom of being fried. I'd like I'd like to think that. All right, but first, let, I, I want to point out. I think we did probably dissect the Subcoos leadership conversation a fair bit in our two our two emergency placeholders podcasts last week. Which it feels like it was ages ago, by the way, that we had this conversation. So I don't really want to do too much here to to kind of go over that once again for like the third or fourth time in the in the podcast space. But maybe I don't know. Just, I would like to get the opinions of each of us. Just just a quick a quick sum things up. Cosmo, Abby, what is your opinion of the final? Uh, decision that was made. Do you are you do you agree that teammates should never race each other? Uh, is there a time when it's okay? Should Sebkus have been backed all along? Where do you stand on this, Cosmo? You want to go first? I do not. I feel like. I'm pretty impressed that Sepp was able to do what he did after supporting Primos and Vinigo in the first two Grand Tours of the year. And with that in mind and the way that he was riding, I think it became apparent early on that he was the guy to ride for. I say F you to everyone who says, <laughs> that maybe is a bit strong, that there's no gifts in cycling because that's simply not true. It's really hard to be a domestique, and it's pretty rare that a domestique has the legs to win a race, let alone a Grand Tour. And I think that because of that, it should have been a no-brainer to ride for SEP. Um, like it or not, cycling isn't all about like the strongest guy wins the race. Sometimes it does have to be somebody else and if that happens to be a great PR move for the team then that's just a bone like the icing on top of the cake but I think that they're I think that the team made a lot of choices that could have put a lot of their support in jeopardy and they're not really in a place to do that so I think that backing step was the right move now I feel like I'm rambling, but I feel like this is such a hard question to answer. Like I want to answer it like in a professional way, but also like I'm obviously biased. I, I know Sep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we all have a little bit of bias and at the same time, I, I don't think you rambled. I think that was a pretty cogent, uh, I think like at the end of the day, the bottom line is that Sep was the best guy out there and he deserved to win. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Cosmo, what's your take? Um, I I just, I'm still kind of, how do you go to the Vuelta with both Vinigo and Roglic and not have a plan for like what you're going to do when the race leadership is contested? And that non-plan became even more of an issue when it was pretty obvious that Sepkus was going to be at least in the, the first two weeks part of the conversation of GC lead. 
and it just no one really seemed to know what was going on on the road. And uh, it's been mentioned, you know, Coos did a really good job letting Vinigo go for the stage win. Uh, definitely waited until the gap was secure before he clawed back a lot of time very quickly on stage uh, 16. Um, I just, it to me, I don't understand how you get to that second rest day and don't have a, like, decision tree built out that everybody's memorized. They know what they're going to do on the road. Um, obviously, Umbo is one of the best teams in cycling. Like, you can't argue with that. I just, it, I can't quite get my head around not having a more professional approach, uh, especially because they had that, s- there's a slide that's been going around on social media that um, shows their, like, season plan and... Clearly, they put a lot of thought into these things. Uh, and just to have that that very hierarchical setup in the beginning and then not execute on the details as you kind of move through the steps was like, where's the disconnect there? You know, who's the project manager here? I need to I need to put we, the postmortem. I'm going to put in a, a ticket to sort this one out. I don't think that... Um, I don't like the narrative that the only reason the team backed SEP is because there was so much... Um, backlash on Twitter. Like, I think that that's kind of a, that really undercuts Sepp's ability to win the race. I think it's a bummer. Um, I feel like it was more that they were waiting to see how he did on those final mountain stages. And then because of that, they supported him in the end when he, when he was able to hold it himself. Um, I, I just, yeah, I want to push back on that whole, the whole concept that he, the only reason they rode for him was because of the backlash. No, I agree. I think even, even in those last few days, it was, it it wasn't as if they went from absolutely positively not supporting Sepkus to everybody gets in line. It was more like, maybe we're supporting Sepkus. We'll see. And then, yeah, okay. Seems fine. We'll do it. Uh, and it, yeah, it did. It did seem like they were they were kind of waiting to the last possible moment, but in the end, they they did it. Yeah, I don't mean to imply otherwise. Um, I think Sep won the race on stage seventeen, um, and people should celebrate that. And I think a lot of the Twitter blowback was people being like, "Yo, did you see what he just did today? WTF? Why are we? Why is he having to fight for his position as the the leader here?" Right, right. To me, to to maybe close out our our podcast personal opinions, I. I has said I've said on this podcast before. I believe it was uh, after Strata that I think it's kind of fun when teammates go up against each other, and I love seeing it. I would like to see it more, maybe. And yet, at the same time, I I, I think that only works when everybody buys into it and when it's clearly communicated. And to kind of basically echo everything that you said, Cosmo, clearly there there was no clear communication in in this team. Sepkus w- did follow the sort of unwritten rule that you don't chase down your teammate on the Tourmalet. And then a few days later, Jonas Vingago said, oh, wait, what unwritten rule? Let me attack real quick. <laughs> or at least let me follow Primoz Roglic. And that, to me, is the problem. It's like, if you everybody goes into the race with a very clear-cut plan, fine, but you can't just change midway through, and you need to communicate these things better. And in the end, I think Sepkus did a great job of defending that lead when he had to defend it against his own teammates. So I'm pretty happy that that worked out for him. And I think it all worked out in the end for Yumbo. At the same time, kind of got the best of both worlds as fans because those who wanted to see Sepkus win got what they wanted. And we did get two pretty entertaining days of Sepkus's own teammates putting time into him or attempting to. So in the end, I think he earned it. Like people wanted him to, you know, quote unquote, earned it. Like people wanted him to, whatever that means. And and at the same time, he didn't. He won it. So hopefully, everybody's more or less happy. 
And I think the uh, excitement around the Vuelta this year is a pretty clear sign that the race was a big winner in all of this because people watched, people cared. And, and in the end, yeah, Seb Kuss, first American Grand Tour winner in a decade. Do you think at the end of the day, people really cared about the fact that Jumbo Visma finished one, two, three on the podium? I mean, the, that Sepp was a different winner than their previous two Grand Tour winners. Do you think that the, that it made a difference when everyone's looking at the podium and thinking, oh, one team went one, two, three? I do think so. Uh, I think it. I think there would have been more frustration, more general boredom. Had it not been that way, be a very different uh, conversation. Yeah, I do think it's not surprising that they had two riders on the podium. That's not at all a surprise. They went into the race with the two top favorites to win. So it's really Sepkus is the major surprise here. Had they finished one two, that would have been both impressive and boring, and yet not a surprise because they had. Primoz Roglic and Jonas Vingegaard going into the race. So if you didn't expect those two to contest the win, you're probably not paying attention to cycling. All right, we've dissected the Coos, the Coos question enough, I think. Maybe we could talk about some of these other things. People tune into this podcast because we are so serious that we don't just talk about the big issues, right? <laughs> like, what about the rest of the GC Top 10? What about everybody that wasn't on Yumbo? Because I think if you are UAE, you're probably content maybe not happy with the way things turned out i think going into the race i expected juan ayuso to be fourth and he was fourth so there we go good good for him i think joel Meda has proven once again that he doesn't really do much more than top tens and i wonder how many more opportunities he's going to get now that ayuso has kind of proven himself capable uh yeah remco Evenepoel, the other big gc question Remco kind of reminds me, there's a bit in The Simpsons where there's a, there's something, I think it's like the Homer's acapella group gets back together or something, and everybody's watching it, and there's a guy climbing a building, like Human Fly, and he says, hello, Human Fly here. I feel a little bit like Remco is Human Fly. Like, he's out here every day, getting up the road, winning stages, crushing the KOM, threatening the green jersey, and he's like a two a two parag- or a two sentence paragraph at the bottom of every article. Like, oh yeah, Remco did something else. I, I it really kind of speaks to to what grabs reader interest and 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 I guess editorial interest as well. Uh, that is such such a outstanding performance, even outside of the GC, was was really a third tier mention. I agree completely, and I also think there's something kind of funny, strange. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but. It seems like if you go into something as a GC contender, if you are seen as a GC contender, anything else that you do is sort of devalued. Like if he were a sprinter or if he were purely a breakaway specialist, if that's all he did with no GC expectations, I feel like he would have gotten more love for what he ended up doing in this race, which, as you say, was very impressive. But it's like as soon as his GC bid fails, everything else is just sort of, eh, good for you, but eh. And I... I kind of feel for the guy because he had a heck of a race. He made things as entertaining as they could be off the front almost every day and comes away with it with some good results, multiple stage victories. KOM jersey was pretty darn close to the points classification, even though the sprinters get coddled into giving getting all these points on the sprint stages. Yeah, hats off, Remco. I 
appreciate how Rumco tackled this race and the fact that when he was clearly not going to win the race again, he he kind of took it in stride and made it fun up until the very last moment. <laughs> literally. Yeah, I mean, like, literally. Because he, he got into a breakaway on a flat finishing stage, which I think we're going to talk about here in a second. Uh, so, yeah, good job, Remco, even if he didn't finish in the top 10. All right. Let's actually pick out some standout moments here. Cosmo, this this is this is my transition here because I know you All wanted right, to talk go. about that. Yeah. The final so, day. yeah, final day, you know, it's it's your typical urban circuit. Um, although the corners are extremely sharp, like like 15 miles an hour max speed kind of sharp. So it's very hard to cha- uh, to kind of time your catch. Um, Remco and Ghana and Leonard Kamna and a bunch of other super strong dudes go up the road. Uh, Alpeson decides they need to get uh, Caden Groves into that move too. So you now have the sprint leader with a bunch of really strong people and it still motivated, but not as motivated chase. It's super touch and go as to whether they're going to get caught. They round the final bend and there's enough space. The whole front group kind of sits up and looks at each other. Finally, Remco goes, I think maybe 400 meters. Uh, Groves digs super deep, gets there, gets to Remco's wheel, like a hundred meters, 50 meters starts to go himself. Is like clear. Everybody at the front of the race is completely gassed. I think he's actually coasting as he throws the bike over the line. Uh, but it was just a, it was so atypical for a final day finish and it can be, it can be a real procession. You know, we, we expect the tour de France to be like this where there's a couple breaks and then there's a big sprint. And I thought it was really cool to see that break from it. And to see Caden Groves come through because he had a really, there was the reason this was an interesting finish is because Remco could have taken uh, the green jersey, uh, and the reason he could have done that is because there was a big crash, I think stage nineteen, uh, where Caden Groves didn't get any points because it happened in the final kilometer. There's a crash. Caden Groves manages somehow to run out of the crash. So the bike, there's a bunch of bodies strewn across the road. He comes in kind of late, gets all, like endos a little bit, lands on his feet, runs it out, picks up his bike. You know he's. He's not, he's clearly the strongest sprinter in the race. He's not screaming. He's not cussing. He gets his bike back up and immediately goes over to one of his teammates who's on the ground, like kind of, Hey, are you okay? Which I thought was really cool. And I thought it was cool to see him, you know, the team kind of pay that back, getting him into this move and then him finishing it off with the win. Uh, I know Dane, you say the sprinters are coddled into these points, but it's, I always like to see a, a rider kind of earn that green Jersey, uh, Tor Hushov style, where he would go on a big, long break, grab those intermediate sprints. I kind of saw shades of that here at, at the finish. Oh, I think Groves definitely earned it in the end. And the fact that he was able to get into this breakaway, I mean, that was really impressive. Uh, so good on Groves, and that was a great final stage. He had a he had a very good race. I feel like I probably would have expected more wins. After the first two, I was thinking, okay, he's just going to win every sprint now, right? And then he didn't. Uh, but he did end up with some pretty good results. And that last stage was great. I, I do think uh, we got to see the way in which a gap to a break can be uh, misleading or, or at least our, our expectations are sort of the, the general rule of thumb about, Oh, there's XK to go and there's Y seconds to the break. So they will or won't get caught. And that was very much not the case the, the standard rule of, you know, one minute for every 10 K was very much not the case in Madrid. And they had about 20 seconds, give or take for a very long time. And yet they were extremely dangerous. And you get to see how what happens when the teams that might chase, like Alpeson, because Groves was hoping to win the sprint, have a rider in the move. Well, then it's basically just, you know, six very strong riders out front, including the huge engines of Ghana and Evenepoel. 
versus not that many people putting in that much effort in the back in in the peloton, and that allows a twenty second break to or a twenty second gap to really hold. And that was pretty fascinating watching that again, relatively small compared to what we normally expect uh, gap to hold all the way to the finish. Where, yeah, Groves Groves took the win. Abby, moments moment moments that stood out for you for for this Vuelta. Man, I feel like all of them. I like not to break the fourth wall or anything, but the it, there's been internal debate about at um, Escape about the amount of coverage, the amount of time and effort we put into. Is it internal debate? Say that, or is it everyone against Kaylee? I want to. I don't know. I think it is an internal <laughs> debate. I think, and and but I would like to say that I've already been called out for taking victory laps about how great the wealth is because I'm always talking about it, and then it was great. And Johnny said, Johnny said how much he liked that I t- keep taking victory laps. So now I'm afraid. <laughs> now I'm afraid to like say I told you so. So I'm going to let you do it, Abby. Go for it. No, I, the, it's been a really awesome race. I would argue one of the one of the best Grand Tours of the year. Um, I, I would feel okay. Like, I don't. Yeah. First of all, I don't think you have to argue that it was one of the best Grand Tours of the year, right? Because there's only three. So <laughs> yeah. Dan pushing hard for that editor job. Yeah, I'm always here to I mean, edit what Abby has to say. He's he. You should see when he used to edit my pieces. He just ripped them apart. No, I just took and out all the. And then he would send me like a laundry in, list of things that I did wrong. I would take out the um, U's in armor and color, and I would add commas. That's that's all I would do, Abby. Uh, um, no, I think the entire thing from from the opening TTT that was so dramatic in the in the rain in the dark, um, and kind of the debate that started with that the the second stage was it that already they had to take the time early because <laughs> the weather was so bad and it was just completely chaotic. Like some guys sat up, some guys kept going. Who? when who were they going to give the red jersey to it how it like ended up that it was like the ef guy like the complete chaos of the first couple stages and i feel like that that chaos went on into the rest of the race in a way that made it just incredibly entertaining to watch like even though we had three riders from the same team on the podium of the gc and there was really no way that anyone was going to crack that that egg that was Yumbo Visma going into the final and we knew in Madrid it would be the three of them standing on the podium there was still so much drama around the team that it that it was never not entertaining I feel like yeah standout moments like there's a thousand there's no way I could pick them pick pick one like the the whole Yumbo debate when when Soup won the stage completely randomly with the beard and the dancing like just there are so many moments. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And I think I'm not the first person to say this. this is not an original opinion or anything. I've seen this kind of floating around on Twitter, but I would agree that the Yumbo chaos, all of that drama, and honestly, just the, the really entertaining last few days of racing across the board kind of saved the Vuelta uh, organizers because it kind of missed or it redirected some of our attention away from the uh tomfoolery of the of the first few days and the many different ways in which the Vuelta organization raised eyebrows. So thanks to Yumbo for helping take some heat off of the Vuelta. I, I hardly even remembered that the first few days had a bunch of organizational, you know, yeah, tomfoolery. They still need to look into the um the police officer who yeah. gave the 
poor Yumbo Visma staff a concussion. Yes, the That's... Guardia Civil, if you have not seen these videos, just in general, they were a little bit, not a little bit, they were very rough with people. And specifically, they uh, reportedly caused a concussion to a Yumbo Visma staffer, which is not what you're supposed to do uh, if you are providing security for a race. You're not supposed to hurt the people who are involved in doing the race. Yeah. There's there's a video of this and he's obviously a Yumbo staffer. Like it's he's got the vest on. He's he does have a mask on, but it's like even then, I think Johnny and Kate were both like, No, I think I've I know that guy. I think I've seen that guy. Um so it wasn't like it was a random person who happened to be a Yumbo staffer that the police got confused about because his predation wasn't visible. It was like clearly somebody who had a job to do at the race and they did not care. <laughs> they were out yeah. to teach him a lesson. I I feel like there were so many crazy moments, good or bad, in this Vuelta that it feels like it was three months long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like the Sepkus, like leadership debate was was a week and a half ago when it was actually like five days ago. You know, that... Yeah, it really does feel... And, and all, all this stuff in the first week do, does feel forever ago. But I think that's a good thing for the Vuelta. Again, I, I mean, it... I love this race. I, 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 I'm really glad that it got all the excitement this year. Hopefully that will continue. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, highlight, let's highlight those riders or those teams that made some smart moves uh, or call out some of those with questionable judgment. Now, I like to keep things positive. You know, this is sport. We're just here to be entertained. They're out there, you know, racing their hearts out. So I generally want to highlight smart moves. But not today. Uh, today I'm going to call out <laughs> Movistar for their questionable judgment in their home Grand Tour. This was a pretty poor effort from the one Spanish World Tour team, which sent a rider who has been second at this race three times, no less than three times so far in his young career. And he did generally rode on the wheel as long as he could till he got dropped, finished a relatively quiet sixth, Enric Moss, I felt like he could have attacked some. I felt like he could have tried to make this more interesting. Rest of the team, with the exception maybe of Ana Rubio, he's the one guy I'm going to give a pass to because he was in the break a lot, did his best. Rest of this team, I don't know. What are you doing? What are you doing in your home Grand Tour? You would think that you would be getting some World Tour points. Uh, this is this is not the Movistar team of five years ago, and, and it's a real come down for the squad that used to be up there pretty consistently with, yeah, Naira Quintana, Alejandro Valverde, briefly Mikel Landa. Nowadays, they're really, yeah, a far cry from what they were in the days of Valverde and company. And I think they got to figure it out pretty quickly uh, because it's not going to cut it when you are at your home Grand Tour and Enric Moss just settles for an also-ran position basically every day. Uh, they could have at least made things a little more interesting. Again, exception, in a Rubio. Nice job getting into breaks relatively often. And finishing, what was he, 16th overall? That's not bad. So, yeah, you get a pass. But the rest of you, Movistar, questionable. Questionable Vuelta. Better luck next time. They almost won the team time trial. Almost only counts in <laughs> horseshoes and hand grenades. They had the same time. Almost. Hey, tough tough crowd. Uh, Cosmo? I am going to do something a little bit atypical and 
say that my my questionable judgment for this was the the Yumbo Visma press officer on stage 17, their official write-up. Uh, I should find it. Uh, I believe it's been skewered uh, in Escape and on Twitter, but it has absolutely disconnected from reality. It is It is Orwellian. Like, I know... There was some famous White House press secretary who described his job as having to tell the truth slowly. So as a press officer, you know, you were trying to craft a narrative. You can you can bend the rules. You can rephrase things. This was just a description of, a, of an event that did not happen. <laughs> like the sort of like well-planned, happy teamwork of, of Yumbo Visma on stage 17 was just it was not there. Um, and so I, you know, you can you can say you can. It's okay to highlight that things didn't go as planned. You can just you can make it into make your weakness into a strength. You know, like hey, you know, even though things fell apart for us, we still got it together. We still kept Coos in the lead. You know, all this could have been they they could have they could have not made themselves a laughing stock, and instead they did. And then now every time somebody in Yumbo Visma has to create some content for the media, they're going to remember this stage seventeen write up and think about what actual reality is hiding behind the words they put out i can't really disagree with that i was entertained <laughs> by it but you're right you know it wasn't great uh abby i have two well i feel like a very questionable choice in hindsight was uh allowing sep cuss to go into a breakaway on stage six by everybody that um, wasn't Yumbo, you mean like the rest of the Peloton allowing this to happen? Mostly uh, Sudol Quickstep. Yeah. Because, yeah, at that point, Remco was in the red jersey. Um, and that was really when the tables turned. I feel like that was a smart move for Yumbo Visma, obviously, giving him that freedom. Um, I feel like it was a sh- shocking thing that they allowed him to go up the road in that breakaway. Um, given the, the plans that they had later on in the race with the other two, but obviously that led to the, one of the best Vueltas in recent years. I don't know. I, I, at least I think so. Um, I feel like a questionable move (laughs) was allowing Sep to have that freedom and then almost immediately turning around and not knowing what to do when he succeeded. (laughs) Yeah. Um, from Yuma Visma and and the back and forth, however entertaining it was, the back and forth situation between was Sep the leader, were they, were was he not, was like a very odd thing for Yumbo. And I, I think this is something we're going to be talking about for a really long time. Like, I don't think that, that, that this is something that we can talk about in one podcast and, and get it over with because it's such an entertaining debate to have like what was going on and all everything that happened around it. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's what I, that's what I picked. Well, I think that's a really good point about how, well, this is going to have a long, long-term ramifications in that whenever we talk about Roglic and Vingago moving forward, I think we're going to have to think about it in the context of this because that, that battle between the two of them, you know, quote unquote battle, the, the push for more respect within the team I think primarily coming from the Roglic camp because he, on any other team, would be the tour leader, right? And here he has to sort of, or he feels like he has to fight for any any kind of respect within that team. I think everything that happened to Kus is sort of in that is sort of takes place within that context, and it's really unresolved. 
still. So that is something we're going to be talking about into next year with Roglic hoping to get a little love as a maybe co-leader for the tour. Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about on it. Trek. That could be an interest. The if he goes there. Back and forth continues. If he goes there, that will be certainly the context of the of the transfer. And I think it would make for a great dramatic showdown in July. All right. Who do you want to herald, Cosmo? Who gets who gets heralded? Kind of following up on on my my um, previous statement, I think Attila Walter from Jumbo Visma did a great job, kind of cutting through all the carnage and chaos and riding a really strong domestique role, and also speaking to the press and kind of deflecting the chaos and being like, "Hey, you know, we're there are these three guys. We don't know who's going to win, but they're going to be one, two, three. That's pretty historic. Like we're all working super hard for all of them as a team." And it's going pretty well. Like just very kind of solid and steady. Maybe, maybe, maybe working on his, although he's got plenty of years left, I'm sure working on his, his post-racing career uh, in the press office. But I thought it, I thought, I thought considering all the, all the walking on eggshells comments from, from inside the Yumbo hotel, that he was pretty on it uh, in terms of getting his job done in the race and uh, afterwards or before, I guess, in the village day part. I feel like every time I read Attila Walter's name, Every time I see it, it's like a new level of respect I gain for him. I remember the first time I saw his name, I thought, that's a cool name because he's named Attila. And then the next time I saw it, I thought, this guy's really good at bike racing. And then, yeah, as you point out, I thought, wow, he's really good at talking to the media. And the rest of this team seems very bad at that, or at least the team <laughs> management does. So good on Attila Volta for actually getting his, you know, getting his shit together before talking to the media so that we actually get a, a coherent response when asked those those questions. Abby, who gets heralded? I mean, I feel like the entire Yumbo Visma team for dealing with the the crap and the chaos and the, the questioning of leadership, um, having to all sit around the dinner table together would have been real awkward. But in a non-joking uh, way. I feel like Leonard Kemna had a really great performance the whole race. Obviously, he won a stage, um, but he was also in the break a bunch up there doing things. He was he was even active on that final stage um, for, for Bora Hansgrove. So, yeah, I, I, I like him as a rider. I was happy to see him getting amongst it, even if it only worked out the one time. Uh, he is somebody that... Uh, if if you are are not a Escape Collective fantasy cycling player, you should be. Uh, and he has definitely slotted into my sort of favored. This is a breakaway day. It's always going to be a, a throw at the dartboard. It seems like a good Leonard Canvas seems like a good throw at the dartboard, and that and that's something that he's really come into his his own in that this year. And of course, he has now won stages in all three Grand Tours after this season. So congrats, Lenny. Uh, I'll give a quick herald, quick shout out of heralding to Philip Ogana, time trialing expert, noob sprinter, <laughs> and he sprints like a noob, and his lead out is pretty noobish, but he has power, and I think there's some potential there. I think we saw on multiple occasions that he clearly has this extra gear over a short period of time that I didn't really think he would have. I didn't, I didn't 
I didn't see him as somebody who could do that, which is kind of silly of me because of his track abilities that I was that I was surprised to see him sprinting so well is probably reflects poorly on 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 my skills as an analyst. But uh, I don't I don't think it was generally expected that he was going to do this well. He finished second three different times in sprints at the Vuelta. And I think if he just gets a little more training on how to sprint and maybe if he has a lead out that is a little bit better at launching him at the right time, we could actually see him win some sprints. Maybe not consistently winning Tour de France sprints, but at the Vuelta, where the you know the best sprinter is Caden Groves, which is you know he's good, but he's not he's not a world beater. I think Vilok Bogana can can come up with some stage wins and, and possibly again at the Giro as well. This could be something where Ghana starts to consistently contend in the sort of slightly smaller races than the Tour de France. So good on you, Philip Ogana, for finding this new skill set, new at least to me watching at age 27, which makes me optimistic uh, about your future. All right, we've heralded the unheralded. We've criticized those who've made questionable moves. I feel like we can kind of close the book on the Vuelta, right? Abby, what happened in yeah. 30 seconds or less? Women's Tour de Romandie. It was a it was a great race. It was three super aggressive days of racing for for the women. Um the winner at the end of it for the overall was probably unsurprising Demi Vollering, but the the first stage was really exciting with um with Sofia Bertizzolo taking the win over Karina Schrempf, who went for a late race attack, one of many, many, many attacks during the day. Uh, Kashini Wodoma, our, our favorite aggressive rider, she attacked like 10 or 11 times that day. But Karina Schrempf went late in the race, and she thought she had it. She threw her arms up in the air, only to be passed on the line by Sofia Bertizzolo. She still managed to get second on the stage. And she said afterwards that she actually... Threw her hands up in frustration. I think that most people seeing the photos of the <laughs> finish line would maybe disagree. Um, but I don't know what her frustrated face looks like. Maybe it's just like yeah. super stoked. I want to believe her, but I went back and watched a few times after reading that story, re- reading that she said that. And my final takeaway was, uh, I don't know that I believe yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like just own it. Like... Yeah. yeah. Just own it. Like what Demi Vollering did at the Tour de France Femme of Exwift, where she was like, I didn't know if I'd won or not. So I figured if I did, at least we had the photo. And if not, <laughs> can you please delete all the photos? <laughs> that's actually a pretty good. Yeah, that is the right. That's the way to go. The way to probably go most of all, though, is just don't, don't just do know it. know what's happening? <laughs> in the situation that we saw in stage one, maybe just don't <laughs> celebrate. Right. Um, yeah, anyway. she only really needed to like pedal twice more and she would have had the stage, um, which would have been a huge win for Karina. I mean, she's had an amazing year. She's been um, there and thereabouts, obviously the Austrian national champion, but she's been on this team that has really had a breakthrough year, Phoenix Sukunik. And um, yeah, so it would have been a big win for her and for the team, but it was still a big win for, for, for Sofia Bertizzolo, who... Had never won a world tour race before she won this. She's had some notable results in the past, finished second at Trofeo Alfredo Binda. Um, she's had some really good results as a as a junior, but this was her first world tour win at 26 years old. So 
I'm excited to see what confidence that gives her going into next season and whew, the final races of this year because for the love of all things, it's not over. Demi Vollering took the second stage on a mountaintop finish with Cassie Niwadoma coming in two seconds behind her and Marlon Rooster six seconds behind. Um, it was pretty much the regular names that you would expect to see, but I think Canyon Sram's performance on this stage was notable in that they had a lot of firepower in the group and they did they really took charge of the of the pace setting on the climb and and did a really good job of breaking that group apart and really putting Kasha in the best possible situation she could have been in. In the end it was Demi who who did the the move kind of just an acceleration it wasn't really an attack um that distanced her and her and Kasha and Juliet Labuse and Marlon Rooster from the rest of the group but but yeah I think I wrote something on the on escapecollective.com about Canyon Stram's numbers and how they're they're building a team that I think if they continue to utilize the talent that they have in the way that they are uh they will be a team that can rival sc works in the future hopefully but i think we all just want to see a team do that no matter what team it is and the final stage was won by liana lippert the the new um number one woman for movistar now that anamik van vluten is retired liana took that final stage in a in a reduced bunch sprint it was like 25 riders that came to the line after a super aggressive day just completely non-stop attacking left right and center from Kenya Stram and from dsm Furmanich. um and lippert had a really good sprint to to win against fem benempel who went long not that it was bad i also wrote about this on the site um but yeah fem benempel she kind of just didn't have a teammate and so she started sprinting early which was fine because there was bends in the road so she had like a good line but she just didn't have the acceleration to be able to hold off Lippert who timed her her move was very patient and timed her move right and then was just really smart about where she where she went on the road no one can see my hand movements (laughs) yeah this is the downside of a podcast we, we need a whole tv network is what we need <laughs> don't give kaylee any ideas yeah you're right you're right uh cosmo does fem van Empel do like other things yeah. on the bike does she yeah have she other does pursuits? yeah she's the world cyclocross champion um she was she finished up cross season i think with six consecutive wins and then kind of disappeared a little bit she was in a couple of classics she had a good tour lavenier but wasn't really you, you compare her to, say, Sheeran Van Anroy, who had a really good road season, or Puck Petersa, who at least rode fast at the beginning in some uh, at the beginning of the season in some road races, just sort of nonsensically at the front, and then has been crushing mountain bikes all summer. Um, it's it's good to see Fem Van Empel back up and, and, and kind of ready coming into the season. I'm looking forward to some battles there uh, for cross, which is cyclocross is this sport that is like road bikes, but off road. It happens in the fall and winter. That's gravel, uh, right? No, 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 no. Just, this only takes about an hour, usually less. Um, oh, that's that's yeah. appealing. So actually. It, the whole it's easy to put up. It's in a little loop, so you put up like six cameras, and you can see the entire course. The funny thing is, um, I was actually just describing. I was doing exactly what you're doing right now <laughs> to somebody this weekend, and was I feel like K? I often have to do it. You know, around this time of year, to people who aren't really into cycling, got to explain mm-hmm. to them what that is. Yeah. No, it's 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 really good to see her back um, and fit and and dialed in. So yeah. 
I wanted to give a quick uh, shout out. Maybe isn't the right word. I don't know. I, I, Acknowledgements to, I think I've said it a little bit already, but Marlon Roycer kind of coming into her own this year has proven to be a really big uh, tactical advancement for this, for this SD works team, which obviously has, they're loaded with talent. And uh, we, we know that especially in the classics with between Volering and Kopecky, they're pretty hard to beat in the classics. And then Weebus in the sprints makes them pretty dangerous on that sort of terrain. But Marlon Rooster's evolution into being a very capable climber, I think gives Demi Volering as if she needed any more advantages. Uh, yet another one in these stage races where you're really kind of caught between a rock and a hard place if you're if you're Kashinui Doma. Do you try to you know put Roycer in the rearview mirror and expend all your energy doing it, or do you just let them both you know gang up on you? And it, it, it's again as if as if this team needed any extra factors to help them win. But yeah, Marlon Roycer kind of coming into her own, not just as the time trial superstar we already knew she was, but as a as a really solid climber. Pretty pretty tough to beat. Abby, who who has been unheralded thus far? Paula Patino deserves a shout out. She did a great job in the lead out for Leona Lippert on the final stage, but she also held held her own in that group. Um, it was a really reduced group by the time they they finished that race, and she did an awesome job for Liana. But I also feel like the two young Germans on Canyon Stram and um, Lauren Gracie and I talk about this a bit on the Wheel Talk podcast. If you want to listen to that this week, but Ricardo Bauernfeind and um, and Antonia Niedermeyer, those two, they've both won World Tour races this year, but they have continued to slot really well into um, the roles of support for for Kashini Wadoma and Elise Shabby, and I feel like they. They were both really impressive on the second stage and ended up finishing pretty well as well, the two of them. So I, yeah, I feel like they, they continue to impress me and I'm very excited about the future of German cycling. Hey, talking about Canyon Srams, the numbers, the fact that they're able to place Bauernfeind in the top 10 with, you know, Nui Doma just six seconds off the lead. I think that speaks to that pretty well. And she's pretty darn young, so... That's a really good sign for their future. Briefly mm-hmm. led the the Giro, if I remember correctly. She, yeah, she won a stage um, of the uh, Niedermeyer won a stage of the Giro. Bauernfeind won a stage of the Tour de France Femme solo. Um, held off a chasing Liana Lippert and Marlon Rooser. Crazy. All right. Welta, Romandy, there's your pretty serious analysis for the day to to start your week. Hope we were sufficiently serious. And if we were too serious, rest assured you'll get some placeholders action in a few days. But before that, you get to listen to Wheel Talk. So if you've been listening for the last 45 minutes and you've been saying, I love everything that this Abby person has to say, lucky you, you get a whole other podcast. So go check out then the Wheel Talk. Then hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Abby, thanks for joining us. And if you liked hearing from Abby, go listen to Wheel Talk. And even if you're somebody who likes, I don't know, a little bit of banter, we got stuff for you with the placeholders. If you like tech, Escape Collective has you covered with Geek Warning. So, 
Hope you enjoyed. Cosmo, Abby, thank you for being pretty serious this week. And we'll see you again soon.